As we've seen in our last few lectures, many of the global design movements between the world wars sprung from Cubism, the avant-garde style that was pioneered by Picasso around the turn of the century. In Italy, Filippo Marinetti's futurist movement was turning its focus from politics to design in the years between 1914 and 1918, which was followed by a second wave in the 20s and 30s led by Fortunato de Pero. Meanwhile, Dada's anti-logic, anti-art philosophy spread from Hugo Ball's Cabaret Voltaire in Switzerland across French and Ger France and Germany, while in France and Britain, Art Deco combined Cubism, Futurism, and Art Nouveau with an optimistic consumerist attitude. Today, we'll examine the effect of post-war Cubism on design first in Russia's suprematist and constructivist movements, then we'll look at Gestille in the Netherlands. Now, for centuries in Russia, the ruling classes, the czar and the monarchy, had oppressed the bulk of the population, who were mostly living in poverty as peasants. As the population moved from an agrarian or rural way of life to the cities, they faced horrible living conditions and disease, much as England did during the Industrial Revolution. Now, when Russia entered World War I, there were the um, additional stressors of widespread food shortages and tremendous economic inflation. People started questioning why they were fighting in a war for the leaders who were completely neglecting their needs as citizens. This disillusionment triggered the explosion of the Bolshevik Revolution in 1918, when the people rose up against the Tsar. The Russian army abandoned the war against Germany, and the Soviet state was born. Now, at the onset of the revolution, designers with radical new ideas were welcomed into the movement. Russian artists very quickly embraced Cubism and Futurism, and over the next two decades created most of the work we now know as suprematism and constructivism. Some of the notable Russian suprematists and constructivists we'll look at include Kazimir Malevich, Alexander Rodchenko, and El Lisitsky. Kazimir Malevich was, along, uh, was among the Russian avant-garde. He was an artist and inventor of the pre-constructivist style of suprematism. Suprematism rejected the political role of futurism and constructivism. It formed a more contradictory bridge between the two was more concerned with the supremacy of pure feeling and spirituality, rejecting the representation of natural forms or subject matter altogether. Now, Malevich's style, seen here in his 1915 work, Suprematist Painting Eight Red Rectangles, is marked by the use of pure geometric shape in a high contrast but limited color palette, floating in an undefined, unending sea of white space. It's the essence of cubism followed to its logical conclusion, pure, non-objective form and expression without any representational context. Which isn't to say that his work was without emotion. Malevich believed that abstract forms could still convey powerful emotions through intuition, though, rather than cognition or um, knowledge. His work requires the viewer to approach without the expectation of recognition or understanding and allow themselves to simply feel the reaction inspired by pure form.
The black square here was created by Malovic possibly as early as 1913 and was first exhibited in the last Futurist Exhibition 010 in Petrograd in 1915. It's a solid black cube floating in white space, and the piece is considered an artistic landmark in modern and abstract art, a defined line between old art and new art. It takes abstract form to its most dramatic extreme without any context or subject matter, which Malovic asserted was the essence of pure art. It's sometimes referred to by historians and artists as the zero point of painting, which was meant to, as Malovic said, evoke the experience of pure non-objectivity in the white emptiness of a liberated nothing. A later work, suprematist composition Airplane Flying, Malovic arranges several blocks of pure color in a diagonal composition this time, suggesting a more dynamic movement, yet still emotionally provocative, and still without any discernible relationship to the actual subject matter. His use of color and application of this extreme interpretation of cubism really created a new visual language that bore a strong resemblance to the De Stijl movement in the Netherlands. In this and in later works like Suprematist Composition and the cover of the Constructivist publication First Circle of Lectures, the elements of color and shape are a little more concrete, with the visual form becoming rather than representing the subject matter. The um, arrangement of the shapes and the color are in fact the subject of the painting. Now, as Soviet officials began to criticize suprematist art as impractical and wasteful experimentation, much like Art Nouveau had been criticized at the turn of the century in France, Malovic was eventually forced to keep his paintings a secret. His colleagues uh, on the faculty at the State Art School in Vitebsk and uh, the committee in Unovis were all adopting a more practical, utilitarian approach to design, which Malovic christened constructivism. Philosophically, constructivism was heavily influenced by Marinetti's lectures, rejecting the idea of art for art's sake. Constructivists set out to demolish the division between art and labor, and the notion of traditional art created by and for the bourgeois intellectuals of society, the upper class. Instead, it favored art as a practice or a discipline directed towards social change or something that would serve a social purpose. Developing after World War I, the constructivist movement sought to push people to rebuild society in a utopian model rather than the traditional model that had eventually led to the war. Stylistically, the Russian avant-garde saw the common traits of cubism and futurism and sort of synthesized them into what they then christened cubofuturism. They experimented with typography, moving past pictorial imagery into the invention of pure form. New conceptions of form and space were first seen in painting and sculpture then were adapted to solve design problems as the designers challenged prevailing ideas about traditional composition. 
Much like suprematism, constructivist color palettes were characteristically restricted to red, white, and black, with the occasional addition of a jolt of yellow. The style also preserved suprematism's dynamic application of geometry and diagonal elements, but augmented these with bold typography and photographic imagery, often in circular and angled arrangements, as well as photo montage. Production methods symbolically reflected not only the poverty of the working class, but the relatively meager resources of the designers themselves by using coarse paper, um, small production methods rather than mass production, and the addition of handcrafted elements. Photography replaced illustration. As a mechanical process, photography celebrated the machine and the industrial. So an illustration represented self-expression, which the constructivists completely rejected. They believed that the old disciplines, such as drawing, painting, and traditional design, were obsolete. They integrated methods like photomontage and overprinting into their posters and publications, um, in that celebration of the machine, the industrial, the new, the future. Graphic design was, to the constructivists, a collective discipline that was really more on the level of industrial manufacturing instead of a form of art. Um, utility and communication was everything. There was no room for personal expression. And while this might seem a little harsh to us, the result was a shift toward the function of something rather than simply the aesthetics. For instance, tabs to denote sections in a publication might seem very normal, ordinary to us now, but they were functional tools and very new for the constructivists. The movement was applied not only to posters and publications, but also to practical package design, logos, and advertisements as well. Alexander Rodchenko was a contemporary of Vladimir Tatlin, one of Malevich's artistic rivals. Tatlin and Rodchenko, originally in the suprematist school, both adjusted to the shift to constructivism, gradually adopting um, a more utilitarian concept and ideology. Rodchenko went so far as to completely abandon and publicly renounced fine art, dedicating himself to practical service to the revolution in his paintings, posters, and sculptures. He coined the term productivism and rebranded himself an engineer or constructor rather than an artist. This pragmatic, practical approach, which was shared by many of the constructivists, raised graphic designers to a much higher social status than they'd ever had. People were distrustful of traditional fine artists, so the new regime looked to designers for the practical visual expression of their ideology. Rodchenko worked on publicity campaigns, advertising, and logos for the state-owned companies that now found themselves in competition with private companies under Lenin's new economic policy. He designed the first complete corporate brand identity ever seen in Russia for the Doberlei State Merchant Air Service. The main figure of the brand and the basis of his designs for Doberlet was the mainstay of their fleet, the Junkers aircraft. 
seen here in a 1923 poster for the company, he always represented the plane on a diagonal, tilted as though it were lifting off from the page, with the propeller here blurring into a circular representation of speed and motion. In 1923, he joined up with Vladimir Mayakovsky and opened an advertising firm called Ad Constructor. Mayakovsky was a very talented copywriter. He had a clever way of turning a phrase, and this combined very well with Rodchenko's dramatic style. They worked together for Mosselprom Foods, which was another state-owned company, and redesigned their generic government food labels, created posters, always with just the right tone of political agitation balanced with consumer appeal. In this Cocoa ad, Rodchenko captures a somewhat more traditional uh, illustration of the product in the center of a triangle, one of his favorite forms, formed by two arrows that literally point directly at the product in the center of a red polygon. The sans-serif text is a dynamic mix of outlined and unoutlined type, diagonals, and different typefaces, which incorporates Mayakovsky's signature usage of alliteration, exclamation points, and similar sounds, paralleling the visual repetition and bold forms of Rachenko's design. His design for gum, which was a state-owned department store, is a more rigorous representation of constructivism. It's more symmetrical and precise, using this graduated sizing of the watch photos and in the reflection of the larger red letters at either end of the lower text and the diagonal alignment of the lines that point to the name in the center. Rodchenko and Mayakovsky also collaborated on a magazine for the creative disciplines called Novi Left, or Front Left of the Arts. His design style here is more stable and less dynamic, with a strong, static, horizontal and vertical forms that he placed in precise, almost machine-like rhythms. The bold, blocky type was often softened by the more organic shapes of photographic montages, and approached he adapted from the new style of film montage, which Rudchenko believed was the ultimate replacement for illustration in the new century. Rudchenko further developed his collage technique into serial paintings for the cover of a popular novel series, Miss Mend, by Jim Dollar, who was actually a female author named Marietta Shaginian. His signature rhythmic precision in the arrangement of bold type and angular shapes creates a template that he used as the basis for the entire dollar series, which was then repeated for each of the 10 books. The only change from series or from book to book was in the content of the images and the photo montage and the single color chosen to complement the otherwise achromatic design. Gustav Klustis was a master of employing photo montage in the construction of Soviet socialist propaganda posters. A veteran of both revolutions and a defender of Moscow during the Civil War, he glorified Soviet accomplishments with these heroic, larger-than-life images. Like Rudchenko, Klustis was convinced photomontage was the visual medium of the future, replacing all other forms of artistic realism. 
His depictions of communist leadership as epic figures lent a monumental gravity to government messaging, as seen here in Under the Banner of Lenin for Socialist Construction in 1930. Here, he overlays portraits of Lenin and Stalin, suggesting by the merging of their eyes that Lenin approved of his successor. And the two are surrounded by scenes that represent Russian industry. His poster extolling the virtues of Stalin's five-year plan, Everyone Must Vote in the Election of Soviets from 1930, is geometric and very bold, using the symbol of a hand and simple shapes to convey the message rather than a representative illustration. The typography is sans serif, rejecting decorative fonts. Elements are turned on an angle to suggest forward movement and energy. The red background celebrates the Soviet flag. And the popular message to the Russian people from the Soviet leadership was that this new society created equality for all people, removing the aristocracy and class structure and would enable the Soviet Union to move forward with industrialization. Now, although most of Klustis' posters were in service to Stalin and to the communist leadership, he was eventually unrest, arrested for his unwillingness to compromise his avant-garde approach later on and eventually died in a labor camp in 1944. Ultimately, the constructivist ideal was best represented in the work of Lazar Markovich Lisitsky, or L. Lisitsky, a painter, architect, engineer, and photographer, as well as a graphic designer. As an engineering student early on in his life, he was profoundly affected by the mathematical precision of the architecture he studied, which was a theme that was then incorporated into his style throughout his career. In 1919, Lisitsky was invited to work with Kazimir Malevich at the art school in Vitebsk, and although influenced by Malevich, the dimensional painting style he developed contrasted with Malevich's flat picture planes. Lisitsky's compositional elements created the illusion of depth as they both receded behind and projected forward from the picture plane, adding rotation, texture, and even realism. He called his style prounds, P-R-O-U-N-S, which was an acronym for the Russian phrase that meant projects for the establishment of new art, which he described as an interchange station between painting and architecture. This synthesis of architecture and art and his very precise application of the modern fine art concepts of form and space to visual communication design is on display best here in his iconic propaganda poster, Beat the Whites with a Red Wedge, which you've probably seen many times. Here, Lisitsky divides the space diagonally into opposing black and white areas and drives a large, intrusive, sharp red wedge into the softer, circular negative space, which symbolizes the red Bolsheviks in a battle penetrating the defenses of their opponents, the White Army, during the Russian Civil War. Some of Lisitsky's most significant design achievements were his designs for books, in which he often united geometrical abstraction with functionalism, rejecting decoration entirely in favor of consolidating 
the design and the construction, integrating the two in the most functional way possible. In the suprematist story of two squares he created in 1922, the narrative is developed by captioning the square format geometrical compositions with a dynamic application of typography here in the margins. Likewise, his design for Mayakovsky's 1923 book of poems, For the Voice, introduced a thumb index with symbol codes for each poem so that when a reader was um, in front of an audience, they could easily locate the poem that they were looking for. The illustrations within were constructed simply from letterpress materials that could be found in any printer shop. And in fact, the German printer he worked with didn't speak a word of Russian. Um, he used just letters, rules, and symbols. His typographic arrangements of these elements often represented closely the text they illustrated, which was in the tradition more of futurism and Dada, perhaps inspired by his collaborations with Dadaist Hans Arp. Their collaboration in editing the Isms of Art 1914 to 1924 was a crucial step in the evolution of visual programs for organizing information um, hierarchically. The use of letter form as image is indicative of futurism here on the cover, but is more controlled using a strict grid with more precise, regular rhythms, and the asymmetry is much more carefully balanced. The interior is arranged in thirds. Variations on the three-column horizontal and vertical grids are seen here in the title page and in a text sample. Then the pictorial spreads were laid out in combinations of one-column, two-column, and three-column widths. After he returned to Russia in 1925, Lisitsky distinguished himself with large exhibition projects for the Soviet government, um, interspersed occasionally with more publication design, art direction, and architecture along the way. In 1929, he designed this poster for a Russian applied arts exhibition to be held in Zurich. The overlapping and merging of the photorealistic male and female figures resembles Clustis's portrayal of uh, Stalin and Lenin, but symbolizes the equality of men and women in the eyes of the state. The title of the exhibition is very neatly superimposed on this angular, chiaroscuro, high-contrast representation of the building the exhibition was held in that kind of forms a banner that creates the illusion of depth and dimension receding into the background. The vertical red band along the left um, balances the stark white lettering of the date floating in, in a black sea on the right lower corner and provides a foundation that binds the images together. By the late 1920s, the Soviet political structure started moving away from strong abstract forms and photo montage. They now considered the constructivists to be radical intellectuals and the work to be a representation of capitalist cosmopolitan culture. The Soviet government demanded design be realistic and not abstract. As the tenure changed, many of these designers left Russia for Germany and the United States, unwilling to compromise. 
We see the influence of constructivists today in graphic design stylistically, but it's really the concepts of functionalism, um, user-centered design for the common man, abstract geometric symbols, and the preference for photography that are really their strongest legacy. In our next lesson, we will talk about De Steele, a movement in neutral Holland where artists were able to work uninterrupted during World War I. If in the meantime you have any questions about today's lecture, please don't hesitate to email me at mgridley at ut.edu.